off the ball. Rugby. So there's a Bronco fitness test. Keenan holds the record in rugby full stop. Second is Bowden Barrett. Wow. So like that's the level of freak of fitness this guy is. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball in association with Cadbury, official snack partner of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Katie McCabe, a huge, huge goal. I'm very proud of the team's performance. We're going to go out there to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Morning, Eileen. Um, I hope you're enjoying a nice Italian weather compared to the I think I owe you a phone call, do I, Kathleen? You do. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> I am sadly down a podcast host, but uh, as long as you qualify us for the arrows, I'll forget yeah, the islands. Now that was a special little treat for everyone listening to the podcast there from the one and only Eileen Gleason, apologising for stealing one of our very, very favourite podcast hosts, Emma Byrne, for her Ireland team. She didn't quite commit to getting to the Euros for us as repayment, but uh, rest assured, anyone who is listening to us, that we will hold Eileen and Emma to that over the next couple of years as we go through the qualification process. Joining me today, though, to have a bit of a chat about the games ahead is Alana Kanan, her sport journalist, and our very own Emma Carroll. How are you guys? Good. Good, good. I heard this is the fast track to the Ireland coaching, so I said I'd hop on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know where Karen is this week, so, you know, I know there's been rumours going around where Eileen wanted to come back as a player and all those defensive injuries. So, you know, Denise O'Sullivan's injured and next while Karen Duggan's missing from the pod. Yeah, I'm slowly losing podcast hosts and having to recruit others. So uh, if anyone wants to get their CVs into us, please do let me know. No, Karen is just sick this week, um, so she sadly cannot make it, but she will be back. She's not permanently leaving us. Thank you very much for that. Anyone who may have thought differently. Um, So while we are here, we will have our team of the week, as per usual, a little bit later in the podcast. And then we also have the one and only Jilly Flaherty. Joining us again to review the weekend's WSL action. She was on comms on the big game on Friday night for City versus Chelsea. Obviously watched everything over the weekend and was doing multiple TV appearances. So she has will have lots of interesting things to say. But first of all, guys, we're going to look ahead to the week that is and the Italy game is on Friday. Alana, we had a bit of an update today from Eileen Gleason when it came to injuries. Denise O'Sullivan and Tyler Toland. Tyler was precautionary. Denise O'Sullivan, it was like a bone issue in her knee that she got in preseason training uh, in a game against Orlando Pride. But both should be okay for the qualifiers, which is great news. And then for Louise Quinn, I kind of got the impression that maybe she is just in the squad as a general leader. Eileen Gleason was kind of saying that they're looking to the Wales game rather than the game on Friday against Italy but that they are hopeful that she can have some sort of impact whether that's just you know being the amazing player that she is or not thoughts and feelings about missing I suppose that will stick to Tyler Toland and Denise O'Sullivan because that's a pretty key component to what has been the middle of the pitch for Eileen Gleeson in those games before Christmas yeah you're basically using or losing obviously the spine of your midfield there and especially considering Tyler has maybe been like the engine for us and then Denise we've seen a lot more going forward in recent games so that was brilliant to see but as I say we'll be without her now for these two um, in one way I guess 
probably not the worst time in the world for it to happen. If it was only this for the rest of the season, you'd definitely take it. Um, but obviously, in the other side of things, a major loss on both sides, especially Denise, you know, such a key player for Ireland over the last number of years. And um, yeah, Tyler, obviously, coming back into the squad had made such an impact. So both will be a loss. I think it's interesting as well. She's obviously holding on to Louise Quinn, even though we're not quite sure what will happen there yet. Maybe we'll see her in the Wales game, but we won't see her in the Italy one. But that does, I suppose, lend into the thought process that maybe we need that bit of leadership in a time which is so changing for Ireland at the minute. You know, we're bringing in new players, trying out different systems. So um, to have that bit of consistency, I'm sure, is what Eileen was going after there, keeping Louise Quinn around the squad. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I... I know we'll miss Denise more for what she does on the pitch, but I do wonder if it's more important to have had Tyler there if she was fit. Obviously, she's not, so like that we can't argue that case. Whatever medically she needs to do is what's most important. But just in terms of building those relationships with the midfield, with people out in the wings, like that was the thing that I found really exciting about watching her over those couple of games where you could see they were kind of learning learning the language of each other again after her not being in there for so long. Whereas someone with Denise, it's so instinctive at this stage that in some ways it might be harder for Tyler not being in this camp. Yeah, especially, I suppose, if you're looking long-term to the future. Now, the other flip side of the coin is obviously we're getting to see the likes of Jess Fitzgerald and Aaron McLaughlin back in, which I think is pivotal in some ways because while we're building towards these this next Euros we have to start thinking about beyond that as well and well a lot of this team we know and love and their experience is vital and pivotal Um, you do kind of always have to have that in the back of your mind and as the head of women's and girls football obviously Eileen would have been exposed to a lot of the younger players so it's great that we're seeing them get to come in and uh, yeah to have the women's premier division representation back in as well because obviously before um, these two injuries there was actually none and that's the first time in a long long time there hasn't been really because obviously Anya Gorman was holding that mantle for a long time um, even throughout the World Cup uh, but then obviously retired then we had Tara Hanlon and the rest of the PMH United youngsters so yeah it's great uh, to see them in the squad um, but yeah Tyler and Denise a massive loss as well Yeah we're not allowed to mention the words uh, head of women and girls football around here <coughs> some tense exchanges on yesterday's call with Eileen Gleeson when she was asked whether or not she would go back into the role after management um, she directed the journalist that asked her to go talk to, talk to Mark Canham about such things so uh, still TBD on what is going to happen with that role the contract seems to have changed from a full-time contract to a fixed-term contract. Um, So that will be really interesting to see how it develops over the next while. Emma, I assume you were very, very happy to see two familiar Liverpool names back in the <laughs> squad in Nifahi and uh, Leanne Kiernan. Nifahi was talking today, actually, about the the process of being out of the camp for the last couple of months not playing for Liverpool as well and how much she really struggled with that uh, especially after the World Cup and maybe some residual disappointment with how it had gone for Ireland and she was asked about potential retirement by Tony O'Donoghue and she was laughing that he was always trying to retire her but she was saying she was just taking things step by step at the moment camp by camp match by match when it comes to club and 
suppose you can't really ask for anything more, but you do have Caitlin Hayes and other players, Eva Mannion coming back in there too. You know, a lot of interest in that position at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say probably when you come back off a World Cup and kind of knock it in those, to be part of those homecoming games as well, was probably a big thing for Neve. Um But she's come back and she's come straight back into a Liverpool defence that was actually doing quite well without her. So the fact that she's straight back in there, taking the captain's armband straight back as well, shows her leadership qualities. Um, and she's been good. She hasn't played a full 90 yet, I don't think. I think she's kind of still being managed. Um, but she has got a lot of minutes. She's, I think, 75, 80 minutes kind of thing. And just not quite the full 90 yet. But she's played really well. Performance has been really good. Her Also, her stepping out into the midfield for Liverpool as well has been quite good. Um, Leanne Kernan, we still haven't seen her get a lot of minutes yet. And she's probably... Like, I don't know how much game time we'll get to see ever during the international window as well. She's one of those players that is almost um, a bit of a myth. It's like, we know how good she can be. And because she's been injured for so long, it's like, has that even built her up to be, oh, when Leanne Kiernan gets back? Because before she got those injuries, like the season she had for Liverpool, like she got them promoted basically from um, mm. up to the WSL. So, yeah, like... I just hope and every time I come I see her coming on, like there is a bit of a joke around Liverpool that herself and Tiago must be uh, always in the rehab centre together because the two of them just seem to be uh, made of glass. But no, hopefully um Leanne's been a few weeks now back training, getting a few game uh, game time minutes under her belt. So yeah, hopefully she stays fit for the rest of the season. Yeah, as you say, we saw how good she was in the year that Liverpool got promoted to the WSL and think we've all been on tender hooks. And every time she gets a bit of a run out, she generally does quite well. Or if it's, you know, if she gets in at the start of the season, gets a couple of games under her belt, she does quite well. So you really, really wish for her own sake. She's had such an awful run of it when it comes to injuries. For you, Emma, what are you expecting from these games? I know you have some thoughts on people underestimating Wales in the following week, but what are you hoping to see? Um, it's going to be interesting because of the midfield now that we're missing Denise and Tyler. So maybe see a bit more of Jessu come back from ACL. She's got a fair few minutes for West Ham, looked really good, and actually her intricate play at the weekend was really good like the in the short spaces just flicking and passing was really nice for West Ham so we might get a chance to see a bit of her um, but yeah on the Wales thing I think like people are saying that it's a gimme and I hope it is but with Denise uh, O'Sullivan and Tyler Tolan missing from midfield I think we might be underestimating the Wales midfield in Jess Fishlock Sophie Ingle Sophie Ingle is so underrated for Chelsea and what she does and Kerry Holland as well and no spoilers but had she not got a red card at the weekend she may have well been in the team of the week so she's an engine for Liverpool um, so yeah we might kind of just be a little bit like the battle could be won and lost in the midfield um, yeah I think maybe we have the world class player in Katie McCabe and maybe that's the difference maker Um I don't think it's all to be written off so easy as some people have been building. Well, Wales are kind of dominating the Irish psyche this week, so it's not all that surprising. Alana, what are you expecting from these games? Yeah, I think um, two interesting tests. I mean, decent enough, but I was kind of hoping we would have got 
um, an even bigger sort of name or opponent in there just so we could kind of test the waters with the attendance stuff once more be it Taller, be it in the Aviva, um, but maybe we'll get that come the Euro qualifiers. I just wait. We didn't. I would just wish we didn't have to wait on the luck of the draw on that front to see who we can maybe draw in. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Surely, obviously, Italy ranked 14, 14th, Wales thirty second, or Wales twenty fourth. So yeah, maybe we shouldn't be writing off Wales as much as I uh, was there previously. But I think um, it will be. The big talking point obviously will be around the midfield and all the injuries coming back, as well as the likes of Emily Murphy. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether we see her at all or will she feature or what's going to happen there. But yeah, with so many people coming back and still trialing the different systems, I think, especially when you were talking about Leanne Kieran in there, I was thinking it must be so difficult for her because obviously with Carusa in fantastic form, and a different player to Leanne as well, that kind of hold-up style as opposed to the fast sprint, see how we go that way. But um, it will be interesting to see, do we see all of those players? And then, yeah, how we can fare ahead of the Euro qualifiers because they are fast approaching and we need to get to these major tournaments once again. Yeah. I hope yeah. we do get to see Emily Murphy, actually, because um, Jesse Park going to freeze on off-the-ball breakfast. <laughs> if anybody missed that, go back and have a listen because she definitely made her sound like a very exciting player. So, um, yeah, I definitely recommend going back to listen to that because by the sounds of it, Emily is very, very exciting. Early she was at a young age at Chelsea. So, Yeah, I think someone was talking about her today and she kind of, she played it down a little bit, but in that she wasn't quite as excited as Jessie was on Off the Ball, but she was still, you know, saying this could have a lot of potential really strong centre forward position is where I see her playing. So could be interesting considering, you know, you have Abby in terms of our forwards in general, you have Abby Larkin, Amber Barrett, Leanne Kiernan. A lot of questions around that forward line in general. You know, Amber, a lot of people are wondering what level she's at. Abby is still proving herself, although Crystal Palace move seems to have worked out quite well for her so far. And then for Emily Murphy, this could be a good opportunity for her to kind of make herself known on this side of the world again after being over in university for a while. Alana, I want to ask you quickly about something before we move on to our team of the week. So a bit of controversy in Scottish football over the weekend in which our very own Caitlin Hayes was involved in. You were writing about it for her sport today just to try and explain to people what was happening. Basically, Celtic Rangers, big derby at the weekend Rangers were hosting it and they decided very last minute, I think it was the day before potentially, to cancel all Celtic's tickets. They had gone to Celtic and said, you can do it. And Celtic were like, well, why Why would we do this? Um, but basically Rangers had security concerns. And we, we know the history on the men's side between these two teams, but it's never really like come over to the women's side haven't felt all that much obviously there is a rivalry there but it hasn't been the sort of scenes that maybe we've seen in the past with those derbies what happened then over the weekend can you explain a little bit with Caitlin Hayes yeah so I'd say quite a lot of people were actually wondering because it kind of came to light on her own Instagram she uh, put up a post and a bit of a statement as well so as you say yeah the away allocation was cancelled and then she criticised that decision saying that football is nothing without the fans and that today women's football in Scotland was let down it was also fascinating as well she compared it to obviously the contrast with the Arsenal United game and the Emirates and how that was sold out and 
you know, kind of what we were all thinking, you know, women's football deserves this to see all these people at the games and enjoying it. Whereas if you put that into in contrast to the situation Celtic had um, over the weekend, you know, none of their fans were able to see the game and such a big derby game as well. You think you'd be able to sell the tickets and get that rivalry going, um, which is so important in building a fan base. So, yeah, she was just saying that, you know, whatever the circumstances, if you can't accommodate it and plan and fund accordingly, you know, the game gets damaged and this is all a journey that everyone is on I suppose media fans footballers alike that you're trying to collectively build and grow the game um, and she just believes there was a uh, false intent was her line to um, have that representation on such a stage and yeah just disappointed overall by what unfolded. Yeah, really strong comments from her on this issue. And I think it's only right to, I know that Rangers said in their statement that they had a meeting of their committee and said there was really strong security concerns. But anyone who's been to a women's match knows there's a very, very different atmosphere. They were saying it would require more policing. I don't understand why, if it would require more policing, this hadn't been already established beforehand. Um, and I, I, I hate the whole thing of, you know, women's footballs for families and kids, because I think that totally alienates a massive amount of the population that watch it. But a lot of these games still do have that vibe to them. So it seems very strange that you would need to cancel the allocation like that. And it's good to see players like her. She had it written on her top as well. And she pulled up her jersey at one stage and it was written underneath it. So it's good to see an Irish player stand up for something like this. And hopefully Rangers provide a bit more clarity or something about it, because it is a really strange situation um, to find yourselves in when, as you say, Alana, you were at the Emirates, you know, there was... 60,000 people there, they were able to make that work, even if there was bad queuing with the tubes and whatever else that we were talking about before we started recording. So yeah, an interesting one. We might get to chat to her about it at some stage over the next week or two, if she is put up for media. She wasn't ahead of the Italy game anyways, but she might be after it. Emma, we're going to turn our attention to you now. Um, Not because you protested against anything at the weekend but because you have put together a lovely team of the week for us so would you like to take us through it yeah no surprises it's very um city and arsenal heavy on this one Kara keaton and goal uh back four of mccabe wubamai alexandri and greenwood greenwood's slightly opposition but you know she plays there a lot of times um midfield throwing the back kim little and jordan nobbs and I then, got such a wave of nostalgia whenever I saw that. <laughs> I was like, oh, the good days. Uh, Jess Park just ahead of them, and then we've got Mead, Leon, and Lacasse on three. So, Alana, is this your first team of the week that you've done with us? I know you've done. Yeah. yeah. So, what what do you think of your, your inaugural team of the week? Who who stuck out for you? I think you're expecting me to go full Simon Cowell here, but I'm going to go more. (laughs) (laughs) I can't disagree with much of that. I feel like everyone thinks they're going to come on and like disagree massively with that. And that Emma just does her research really well. They're like, actually, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I think obviously um, the one I was at was United Arsenal and yeah, all those players stood out. Um, Especially it was a new one for me. Having obviously not so much watching Arsenal, watching her at Arsenal, but more so in a Ireland jersey, McCabe at right back. What do we think? Is it something we could see in the Ireland squad? 
I hope not, but uh, she linked up really well with Mead. Um, and Bet Me did say in her post match that they've been working on it um, during the week. So obviously they knew once Emily Fox was headed off on international duty early that they would be teaming up. So it was interesting here. And I think they did. They like the battles down that side were brilliant. Mm. Bet Mead and Gemma Evans. Like Gemma Evans have to go off just after half time. And then Garcia as well didn't have. Um, much of joy like I know she scored but and she was probably United's best player but yeah McCabe and me down that side were brilliant but I think the player that makes Arsenal just different is Kim Little I think they're a different side with her in the team she's just class controls everything she was pressing as well like she was right up with Baxenius and pressing United so quick so early but which is slightly different from her because we usually see her a little bit deeper. But um, yeah, I thought Kim Little just outstanding. I think it's always remarkable with Kim Little the way that she's able to inject a calmness but also electricity into Arsenal teams that she plays it. I mean, you consider how long she has been playing for and the level that she's been playing at it for. It's incredible that she would probably walk into most teams still at this stage, no matter what level, because of how solid she has been. Um, Emma, on the McCabe point, do you think the reason why she can swap so easily for Arsenal is because of the players that are around supporting her? You know, if it was to happen in an Ireland context, you don't have Beth Mead up ahead of you helping. And I know she does play in different positions for us at times out of pure necessity, but that's more her dashing forward and trying to get a goal rather than an actual Mm -hmm. tactical switch up. Yeah, it's a good show, especially um with, with like I know Cadinia was kinda in that inside of her, so she had got a fair bit of work to do, but I think Ruben might almost had to cover two positions at some stages. Um because yeah, let less said about that the better. But um Ruben Mai was like brilliant. Absolutely like she's really grown, shown leadership. And um, so maybe that is a thing as well. And when you've got players like Valti as well who will come back and do the defensive duties as well maybe that does help McCabe because McCabe probably should have scored as well she could have had two goals like her corner leads to the OG even the second goal it was her quick free out to Beth Mead and then Mead's pass was brilliant as well Um, yeah maybe it is the players Um, could she do it in Ireland? I don't doubt that she could. No, she of course, of course she could. She can do any. She can play she anywhere. Could, but I'm like, would it actually serve <laughs> us any benefit? Is probably the thing. I don't. Like, no, I think it's a very, very last resort. You like, you're talking about having a lot of players out injured if Katie McCabe has to play right back for Ireland. Hmm. We've enough right backs, anyways. Yeah, Heather Payne is is doing a brilliant job at Everton this season, and she's probably makes me my sub bench so. Um, yeah, like I, you leave Heather Payne out that side and McCabe on the other side, and you're strong enough. Yeah, no, that is fair. It was kind of a facetious question, anyway. <laughs> I, don't I wouldn't advocate for it in any way, but I just wanted to test the waters and see what we thought. I did get a text over the weekend from one of the lads, kind of going, McCabe or B, is this right? And I was like, yes, she's done it plenty of times for Arsenal this season. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I also got the text from unnamed person. So <laughs> it's good to see people doing their research and you know checking that things are right, but that they're being fed. Um, Alana, woman boy, I saw you in right 
te- tweeting, texting. Yes, Ian Wright was texting me about Woman Boy uh, <laughs> over the weekend or posting as it is now uh, about how she deserves some more respect. And as Emma was saying there, she basically was playing two positions during that game. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's kind of funny, like we haven't even mentioned that obviously Leah Williamson uh, was back and then was injured and couldn't play the game. So in the absence of her, she really has come into her own and um, she was brilliant again at the weekend. I suppose the only other maybe shout I'd have was you were talking about Valti there. I thought she was really, really good and tracking back. And then Catley, I don't know why she's sticking her head in those positions but uh, I thought she was quite good too that header was crazy proper Phil Jones style early but yeah I'd say Moy has really come into her own in um, in the last season I guess and she proved it again there at the weekend Emma Adrian Leon is an interesting name in there we haven't seen her all that much um, sorry there's someone at my door uh, we haven't seen her all that much in these teams of the week and maybe a name that people expected to be a little bit more present in the league than she has been I know it's been obviously quite a tough season for Aston Villa very tough yeah but um, I think the fact that we've got two Villa players in there this week as well shows just how big of a win that was for Oversports. I think Leon she kind of led the line she had to in Daly's absence um, she was pressing well her goal goalkeeper probably could have done better for her goal but um, it was her corner kick as well that came in um, in the build up to, to Nobbs's goal as well and Leon probably should have had a, a second goal as well um, yeah I thought her link up with Jordan Nobbs actually was was really good between the two of them they probably could have had another goal and assist each maybe um, Jordan Nobbs coming off the, the post as well um, yeah Definitely one that we probably don't really speak of or see much of this season. Um, Villa were probably happy with that signing at the start of the season coming from United. Um, probably had big, big hopes for it, but yeah, Villa's Phyllis, season has just not been on last season's par, should we say. No, definitely not. I mean, I'm pretty sure with no one run back the tape, I was one of the people that said at the start of the season, oh, Villa could definitely do a run for Champions League, you know, like, they're, they're en route to being where Manchester United are, or were last season, and both of that turned out to be absolutely terrible, because the United haven't lived up to any sort of potential that's in the team, and Aston Villa, the less I say about that, and my earlier prediction, probably the better. Okay, and so that was this week's team of the week Emma thank you very very much for coming along and doing that and doing the top of the show with us as well since a certain Karen Duggan is unavailable to us and um, coming up next we will be chatting to Jilly Flattery and Alana will be sticking around as well to look back at the weekend's action in a little bit more detail Now, we are very lucky this week to be rejoined by Arsenal legend, Jilly Flaherty. Jilly, how are things? How are you getting on? Yeah, all good, thank you very much. I had a, um, a busy couple of days. I've done uh, the Chelsea City game on Friday night and then done the women's football show last night. So, yeah, busy couple of days. You've been doing lots and lots of talking about football, so you weren't uh, joining in in the celebrations at the Emirates on Saturday for the quadruple team? No, I, I was invited to go, and then I thought I had such a busy week last week, and I just thought I just need one day just 
chill at home. Um, so I watched it on the telly still, but yeah, I uh, I missed out on the the posh brunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I saw uh, Emma Byrne was at it with lots of other illustrious former Arsenal players, and I was like scanning the crowd. I was like, yeah. we might see Julia on Monday. I wonder is she in there as well? <laughs> um, just to quickly ask you about that, like. Is it what's it like, I suppose, having that recognized now all those years later still that it's still such a thing that's held to high esteem by the club? Because I mean it's unparalleled. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's good that the club obviously do the recognition. Also, I know on, on the outside of the stadium they've got like the mural, um, so they've got some of the players on there. Um and I and I think it's mad because I think over the last few years there's so many new women football fans who have joined who don't necessarily know the history who I think they think that the league's only been around for about four or five years and anything that happened before then it was non-existent and um, I even think there's there's quite a lot of fans who don't even know that players play for their team um, which is quite it's, it's mad really but um so, yeah, I think it's hugely important because there was life. There was women's football before the WSL, which Arsenal dominated that league. And um, so, yeah, so I think the recognition was, um, yeah, it was well on cue. Yeah, it's quite nice seeing people actually, like after seeing the team there at the weekend, kind of looking into it a little bit more and trying to learn about it a little bit more. Alana, you were one of those people that flew over from Ireland to London for that game on Saturday. It went over in the morning and back in the evening, I think you were saying. And something I've heard from you and a lot of other people was the actual amount of Arsenal and United jerseys between Dublin and London over the weekend. 100%, yeah. I was actually wearing a United jersey. I got a bit of stick for it in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) I was was actually going through security and uh, they asked me to take off my jumper to go through the thing. And there was an Arsenal fan beside me. And she was like, that's just typical. They, t- they pick the United fan to have a look at. And I was like, oh, this is, it's it's funny, like, because it's the type of thing you've wanted in women's football for so long, you know, that rivalry. And especially to have, that was in Dublin airport uh, this time around. But yeah, there was a lot of people over on the plane over there and on my flight on the way back to, I'm not sure, the poor souls down in Gatwick, we must uh, all got cheap flights. But um, no, it was brilliant to see. And especially, over there as well, I was actually surprised with the you know, the amount of uh, Ireland flags or Ireland associated flags, you know, at Lone Gunners or Sligo Gunners even I saw as well. And um, it's brilliant to see. And the great Sligo Gunners poster that is there all the time for the men's and the women's games, which uh, I do quite enjoy. Still have to find that group, actually. Alana is from Sligo, which is my home county as well, Julie. Ah. So that's why we mentioned it too. <laughs> Um, so to let look at some of the football for a little bit, we will talk about Arsenal United, but we should start with Chelsea and City because that was the first game of the weekend. Chelsea nil, Man City won. Massive for the title race. It leaves City and Chelsea literally neck and neck for going into these last couple of games. Gives Arsenal another opportunity to think maybe we might still not be out of this. Um, Jilly, what were your initial thoughts when the game ended on Friday? Um, in all honesty, like coming to the game, um, like cause obviously now when I go into games now as commentating and that, I don't like two of my former clubs could be playing against each other. One of my former clubs could be playing. I don't ever think oh, I really want 
my team who I played for to win. It's sort of, I, I look at it that I want what's best for the league. So for me, the best thing for the league was for City to win. And the reason for that is because you want it to be exciting. You want it to be go down to the last game of the season. You want that that go into the wire. And I think um, for Chelsea, obviously, they're in all the competitions. That Obviously, this year, especially with it being Emma's last year, everyone talks about the um, Champions League and obviously them really... Would they take the Champions League and not winning the WSL? I think they would. Um, so it's sort of that. And obviously then you've got City, you have just been like dark horses all the way through, really, and are just being quiet about what they're doing and just picking up the points. But, I mean, it was a Friday night game under the lights. The crowd was amazing. It was so loud there. City fans come down in good numbers as well. Um, but then when it comes to the game, I think Man City started on the front foot. They was pressurising Chelsea, they was uh, Chelsea were making mistakes and it was just obviously watching Chelsea for so many years and even being there when I played at Kings Meadow, it's a fortress you know, Chelsea do not lose at home and it was just I don't know, they just completely seemed off it um, and like Emma said afterwards like, we're going to lose games and we're going to have bad performances, that's just football you can't go for everything, winning everything but um, yeah I just think it was so important for the women's game, I'd think personally that it was a City win because I think it makes it exciting. It gives Arsenal a little bit of hope as well and it hopefully will go down to the wire. Yeah, between so that game on Friday night, I was willing City to win for the sake of the title race and then in the men's match over the weekend, I was willing Chelsea to win for the sake of the title race and I didn't do too badly across the two, to be fair, I have to say, even though it would have been nice for that Raheem Sterling goal to be the only goal of the weekend in that game. Um, Alana, this is City's 11th win in all competitions, which is a pretty impressive record. We've talked about Garrett Taylor's inconsistency at times, and maybe a lot of people at the start of the season didn't... I don't think they were probably rating them or giving them the credit that was due, but they've come good at this stage of the season so far. Yeah, it's quite funny. It's it's such a turnaround, I'd say, with um, the side of things from Taylor's point of view. You know, people were disagreeing with a lot of his decisions, but they're paying off for him at the minute. And I think a lot of it is down to, you know, the players like Kira Keating stepping into such a big role and she's been unbelievable for them. Um, so it's just class that that kind of thing is paying off. And then like Jilly was saying, obviously Chelsea <laughs> never seemed to lose at home. I was looking up, that's their... First loss in Kings Meadow in 34 games. So, like, that's just unbelievable that City were able to pull it off and no doubt Bunny Shaw then coming through with the difference again. I mean, she has just been incredible this season and such a joy to watch between her and then Lauren James with Chelsea as well. We've been very much treated to two excellent players in the league. But, Jilly, to... Look at maybe some of the rest of City's team because I know a lot is made of Buddy Shaw and it absolutely should be for what she has done and the goals she has scored. But you have the likes of, you know, Yui Hasegawa who's come in there. Um, I thought Jess Park as well was really impressive and one of those younger players. Greenwood and Alexandri seem to pair up quite well too. Laura Coombs is a really consistent player who maybe doesn't get a lot of talk about. Like It seems to be there's a lot of pockets in the city team where maybe in other years they have had a fault or a flaw that Taylor has managed to smooth a lot of that out. Yeah, and I also think when you think back of a city team, 
um, over the years. They've not ever really been defensively organised as what they are now. And I think you've got the consistency now of rather than it being chopping and changing who's playing fullback, who's playing centre-back, they've now got really that established back line. Um, so I think that's key because they are, they're resilient, they're as hard to break down, they've got the best defence in the league. Um, and then you're looking at like Jess Park, for example, who for the last two games has been outstanding for, for Man City. And I think, obviously, the injury to Jill Ward, um, like I said, expecting Jess Park to come in and do the same job as what she does, it's not going to happen because they're two completely different players. So what Jill Ward was good at is getting into the box and having them third player runs and, and finishing, like coming off the edge of the box and finishing. Whereas Park is more, she's like a little live wire in there. Like she gets the ball, she's confident, she's buzzing, she wants to go forward, she's brave with it, but then also recognises when there's pressure that she needs to move it quickly. Um, so I think that's that's been a blessing for them, I think, as well, because before previously she's been playing in the wide areas where there's Hemp and there's Chloe Kelly. And realistically, she's not going to take their places at the moment because of what they're doing. So I think that's a big introduction for them as well. But yeah, I think they're prolific. Bunny Shaw this year is obviously take like so last year she actually had a lot of chances but her she just wasn't clinical um and when you're looking at the stats and that for the the, the xg that she should be getting the chances that she should be finishing she wasn't whereas i think this year she's creating as well as that's probably exactly the same but she's now putting them away more um and that just comes for me from a player who's in confidence and in fine form yeah i'm well supported as well around the team with all those players that you mentioned as well um, Alana, to turn to Arsenal versus United, United have been incredibly disappointing this year. I think everyone can agree. And I think the failure to spend maybe during the summer transfer window or even during January, the failure to bring in maybe someone with a bit of star power. We've seen Nikita Paris come through a lot for them the last while, but there's still across the pitch some difficulties. When you were at the game, what was your impression watching them in person? Because we spent a lot of time watching them on our TV screens here. Exactly, yeah. They just looked absolutely lost. Like the game was over by halftime, obviously. And then it was one of those where it was obviously the three goals in the first half and you were thinking, geez, either the second half is going to be absolutely belter again there's going to be a little more goals or it's going to be completely basically dead in the water and nothing else basically was going to happen and while there were obviously chances in the second half that kind of did prove to be the case United obviously getting the consolation goal but it wasn't worth much to them at that point like Arsenal were just streets ahead and it probably does come back to Kathleen like what you were saying they just didn't go and invest in the team Harris did start right and Lucia got the L nutmeg on McCabe but like part of that you can't put put those as points on the board so yeah just a really poor showing from them and yeah Arsenal just looked streets and streets ahead I saw McCabe was getting quite a lot of stick from player or from fans um, online after that game for some of her antics which we've become well accustomed to from an Irish point of view anyways Jilly, very different game to the one that we saw earlier on in the season. I think that was the second game of the season. Arsenal needed, you said it when you were on with us, uh, Arsenal, after like a few tough results, they needed a big win, which they did get against London City Lionesses. But this feels like an even bigger one for their mentality. Yeah, because I think the London City one, it was, that was expected, you know, in the sense of, I know sometimes in games are the toughest, but they probably would have known that their individual quality would shine through and it should be really a turn up, get the result, get home. 
Um, whereas I think with United, obviously, it didn't help them the previous, obviously, week losing to West Ham because it sort of now brings even more thing. And even then, obviously, losing to City afterwards because it's like, well, hold on a minute, obviously, you've now, even though it's in the FA Cup, you you lost to one of your closest uh, rivals. And then it's, you had first and second on the Friday night and then it's all the hype of third and fourth for playing each other. I obviously know as well going into the game, City have done them a favour because they've helped Chelsea drop points. They know then that they definitely need the win against United to give them any hope to continue to potentially be in the title race. So, and I always said, I always, I said it Friday night actually, I was on live on the telly and they was asking me about the Arsenal-Man United game and I just said, listen, I always fancy Arsenal at the Emirates. And the reason is, is because with a sellout crowd, like I've obviously I've been there when it's like 40, 45,000. The fans are incredible, you know, and I, I always fancy Arsenal to get the result at the Emirates. Um, and also, I know Man United are going for a really tough, tough patch at the moment. And I think then when you look at Arsenal, in all honesty, probably Arsenal could have been 5 6 nil that game. Um, and they'll probably at the end of it, Jonas obviously said afterwards that he obviously lost the league in Sweden on goal difference. So for him, he's aware that there's a bigger goal difference between them and City and Chelsea. So it's an opportunity for them, really. They should have punished Man United more than what they did. Um, but I just think it was, listen, it's, it's a great day for women's football in regards to the crowd at a WSL game. But I think more importantly, it was a huge result for Arsenal to stay in touch with the the top two. Yeah, because I think keeping that race open and alive is a thing that's going to keep people interested as much as whatever big days out you get in the Emirates as well. Alana, Chelsea's next home game, it's two games after the international break, is in the WSL, is against Arsenal. Chelsea are at home. We've heard about their record. They've obviously just had that big loss to City at home in the league. How much pressure is now on both sides going into this game? Because if Arsenal win and Chelsea lose, puts a very different spin on the title race, but also vice versa. If Chelsea win, that's you'd have to think that's definitely Arsenal out. Definitely. And it's come at such an interesting point, like Jelly was saying, like obviously Arsenal tend to be a team who get up for the big games and listen, there's no other bigger game than that one. So yeah, it will be funny because obviously, as I say, Chelsea are coming off the back of a loss. How are they going to bounce back off of that? And then Arsenal coming in off this high. But yeah, they'll have to just um, try and channel that energy again. I know obviously they won't have the 60,000 there, but they'll have to try and find a way to um, get all that support and channel it onto the pitch. Yeah, if anything, it's probably going to be different in that it's a lot more intense of an atmosphere because it is so much more concentrated. And then obviously, because it's a Chelsea home game, as you were saying, Jilly, it can be an absolute cauldron down there sometimes. Yeah, it can be an absolute fortress for Chelsea. Like it's, I think that's what makes them so formidable at home. And the crowd is huge and the supporters are huge. And that obviously, it's a lot closer to the pitch as well compared to... Stanford Bridge or the Emirates, where the fans are a lot further away. Um, but yeah, that should be. And I, I, in all honesty, probably Arsenal are thinking they don't even want the international break. They want to play it now. Um, so it's obviously that you've got the international break, you've got players away, you've got players staying at home injured or potentially just resting. So it will be key as well to see how players come back from the international camp too. Mm. Two players I wanted to ask you about, Julie, because I saw some people arguing about, like, in terms of signing them, they're not 
Totally sure. One on the Arsenal side, one on the United side with Gezi and Lea Kadina. Kadina in particular, I thought, struggled compared to a lot of the um, other Arsenal players. And then on the other side, I just feel like all season there's been an inconsistency with Gezi. Yeah, and I think for me, obviously talking just as a, a centre-back, Kadina, I see her against Tottenham in the Conti Cup and she struggles really bad. Um, I think she struggles with really any pacey centre-forwards. Um, and, I, and I think as well, obviously, coming from Barcelona, listen, who are the best probably in the world, that league, Barcelona dominate all games. So when you're looking at, they're, they're in possession probably a lot of the time. Um, so the centre-backs, necessarily, they're not really troubled because they've got the ball quite a lot of the time compared to the WSL, which is, a, in my opinion, it's a much more competitive league and more even league. And it's not just one game you're looking at. You're looking at three, four, five games. And in all fairness, anyone on their day can beat anybody in that league. So... I think she has struggled massively um, with it. But I also do think as well with uh, international signings, in my opinion, like you have, you have to give them a, a year in the league before realistically judging them. I remember when Miedemar came over and signed for Arsenal and I was playing. And at the time, I was... And I mean, in her first season, Miedemar was poor because it was just the... Um, she was getting used to it. But also as well, her style of play, you hadn't really seen in the WSL before, like... She was very chilled, very like you might not see her for 89 minutes of the game and then she'll cry turn you about 10 times in the box. But I remember going like, I don't know what everyone's raving about. And a lot of people were saying the same because her first year was like, it's just flat. But then you look at her over the years after that and I do think you need to give players a, at least a year in that league to, to get used to the tempo and the standard. Yeah, she even talked a little bit about that herself afterwards, you know, once she kind of hit her vein of form of how she struggled when she came over here just with style of play. As we all know, she has come into rich vein of form since then and hopefully since her ACL, she can kick on a little bit more. Some interesting results uh, elsewhere that weren't to do with the top of the table. If we were to go straight down to the bottom of the table, Leicester with a big win against Bristol City, 5-2 there and... Oh, it makes me so sad that Bristol are kind of a bit adrift. I know I said this last week as well, but I just think they bring so much to the league and it'd be nice if there was a bit more competition, I suppose, down the bottom as to who is possibly going to get relegated. But Alana, it does show how far Leicester have come over the last while. You know, we saw them play Birmingham as well in the Cup and the amount of space they had put between themselves. They seem to have quietly but carefully steeled this team. Yeah, I think so. And like you're saying, from the other side of things, the Bristol Irish contingent won't have been too happy because, say, Leicester had such a game, came from behind to get those, all those goals, full of dunks and chips as well. <laughs> There's no shortage of, uh, I suppose, audacity that way. But yeah, they've come on so far and it kind of would lead you to believe as well, you know, the likes of Liverpool who have come on so far since they came up from the championship you know it does give such hope to other teams around the league that it can be done and um, yeah with the right I suppose vein of results and form that you can just bring that along with you and keep going then so yeah I'm sure they'll be hoping to continue that form there yeah for Megan Connolly not been a, a good season for her with the captain's armband at Bristol Jilly have you been impressed at how Leicester have done over recent seasons 
Yeah, I think when when Willie Kirk come in, I think the main thing that he needed to fix was them defensively being organised and being solid. And he done that. Obviously, lights it come in. Probably the signing of the season for them um, really shored up their defence. But when you watch Leicester last year, they struggled to score goals. Their only goals really come from set pieces and, you know, in creating something out of nothing. But they didn't have really an out-and-out goal scorers. Whereas this year, his recruitment in the off-season um, has been huge for us. And now they're able to do both. They're able to be a bit more defensive solidly again, but also now they're chipping in the goals. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think for Bristol, I think this, I think it's, it would be sad to see him go down because I think, like you said, the tendencies that they bring to the league, um, considering they are really a small club. Um, but I think for them, losing to West Ham, which was really a six-pointer, and then the week after that, West Ham then going to beat Arsenal, which probably no one predicted, um, I think, yeah, just killed them a little bit. And, yeah, it's disappointing. But I know, I mean, Lauren Smith, the manager, actually took me for my um, B licence. And I know, if anything, she'll be making them continue to believe until the last obviously the last minute and they get sometimes when you're when you're a team like that you're playing really for nothing because no one really expects you to stay up the sort of pressure comes off and that's when you're probably most dangerous to play against because you've got you come up against a team who really look like they're going to go down but they only need I know they're not really had many wins at all but they only need one win really two wins to potentially mix things up and change it it's a big ask but I think they'll believe until the end you have to keep the, the hope alive in these situations. Um, Liverpool had an interesting result against Brighton. Very interesting afternoon for Holland, who will be coming to Tala next week, Alana, to see ourselves play in that friendly game ahead of the Nations League draw. She scored and then sent off for a second yellow card late on in the game. Um, what were your thoughts on that sending off? Matt Beard wasn't too happy afterwards about it. Yeah, what a what a game overall. Like Jesus taking all the headlines there. But yeah, I think obviously the Liverpool weren't too happy with the sending off, but they would have been very happy overall with the win. You know, like I was mentioning earlier, fifth overall on the table, you know, in touching distance of the rest of them. Like obviously not going to be competing for the title, but definitely a great showing for them overall. And then yeah, completing the league double over Brighton as well. They'll have been very happy and as well of would have Irish fans, Leon Kiernan getting a run, Fahi a solid seventy minutes too. So yeah, uh, the penalty I'll divert to yourself there, Jill. Uh, but on the rest of it, yeah, I think a solid one for Liverpool overall. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I know Beardy afterwards was arguing that it wasn't, but I think it is. I, it don't seem no different, really, to Gemma Evans' one that done mm. that she done for um, for Man United. You could argue, though, is why didn't Gemma Evans get sent off, you know, and obviously Terry Holland did get sent off. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was a second yellow. You can't really argue it. She does. She it's not the intention because she's obviously gone for the ball, but obviously she has called um, the player. But yeah, I think I think you're right completely, Alano. But it's an it's a huge three points for Liverpool. Obviously, going to Brighton last year, it's, it's a difficult place to go to, um, and it's a difficult ground, a difficult pitch to play on as well. And it's one of those ones you get in, do your utmost to get the result, and then go home. And I think Brighton. And obviously, they've obviously got the interim manager at the moment, Mikey Harris, in there, who 
wants them to play a certain way, they'll be feeling frustrated because they had plenty of chances to to score against Liverpool but couldn't find the finishing touch. Um, but then the goal to give away is from them playing out from the back, which is just... I know he said afterwards, I take full responsibility for it, but I was saying yesterday, when do you as a player, if you're even though you're told to play out from the back, when do you as a player take responsibility and say, hold on, there's no one to pass it to, I just need to turn the ball and go long. Um, and especially when you are, you're down, you're fortunate really that Bristol aren't picking up points because you're second from bottom. Um, so it's sort of when do you just focus on actually this and get the results before you try and implement a new style of play coming in halfway through the season. Um, but yeah, I think for Liverpool, it was, a, it was a huge three points. Yeah, Brighton are kind of one of those teams that I know they've put quite a lot of investment in at club level and when it comes to facilities and things. But I was thinking about what you were saying the other week, Jilly, about being kind of frustrated about how clubs pay attention to what's happening on the pitch. And it just seems with the manager turnover at Brighton and the fact that there's so many things going their way and they just can never quite get it right that I half wish Bristol and them were fighting it out a little bit more for that relegation spot. Um because I I do think that I well, I, I would hope that it would kind of give everyone there a bit of a kick to keep going because they have such great potential. And when you look at the setup on the men's side, the way they're able to bring through younger players and all that sort of thing, you know, the foundations are there, I think, anyways, within the club to be a lot better than they're performing at the moment. Um Jordan Nobbs gave us the possible goal of the weekend. Is that fair to say? It was it was very decent, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't turn it down yourself now if you scored. I definitely I wouldn't even turn down an own goal like that, let alone the goal in the right net. <laughs> uh, but a big win for Aston Villa over Spurs. They beat them two one. Um, Nobs get that goal. If you haven't seen it, it's on the WSL Twitter page. It's well worth looking it up. But uh, yeah, it was tight enough until that 60th minute. Like both teams had similar enough shots on target. Possession was quite even. Tottenham will be quite annoyed though, Alana, about letting this one slip. I think so, yeah. And then, as I say, from the Aston Villa side of things, it just shows that they don't need to be as reliant as maybe they thought they have been on Rachel Daly. Uh, but yeah, as I say, probably a missed opportunity for Tottenham. But I think that's the main thing for me that stood out to that one because while Jordan Nobbs was obviously unbelievable getting that class goal and then and nearly with a second one too. I think overall what I think it really showed was that while Daly is a big player for them, other players can step up too and they did on that day there. Yeah, no, it was very good for them. And then Julie, finally, West Ham losing 2-0 to Everton. Everton will be quite pleased with that. They've had not a great run of form the last while, uh, but for West Ham, another disappointing result after, you know, some quite surprisingly good ones. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, I mean, listen, for Everton, that's their first home win of the season in all competitions. Like, it's that's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous because it's Everton, it's mad to think. I mean, when I was at West Ham, actually, we actually had, in one season, we had a better away form than we did home form. Like, we couldn't pick up no points at home, but we was picking up points away. And it's mad because usually it's the opposite. Um, so I think that's a big boost for Everton because obviously that will be something that will be naturally playing in their heads. We've not won at home. We've not won at home. Um, so I think that'd be huge. West Ham, it, it's not really surprising because I know obviously, listen, they've, they've made some great signings, but 
it's now for them, it has to be about consistency. Like, there's no point. There's literally no point in beating Arsenal if then you can't go and beat the teams that are in and around you. It's just, do you know what I mean? You, you probably would get more confidence from beating those around you and potentially losing to Arsenal because that's the expected one. But then knowing that you're going to go and beat the likes of Everton and you've got the confidence going into those games. Um, but yeah, I think for West Ham, obviously, I think this it was a huge win against Arsenal and a huge win against Bristol to pull them further away from the bottom. Um, but I think for them, it's about, obviously, they've got new signings, but it's just about consistency, um, which I think will be huge come next season as well for them. You mentioned there about having that experience yourself of not being able to win at home. Like, what goes into that? Because we we were talking earlier about Chelsea and Kings Meadow being a fortress or Arsenal playing at the Emirates and the noise that hits you. Like, it must be really disheartening as a player to have that sort of run of form in somewhere that you're supposed to be surrounded by all your own fans. You're supposed to know the, every corner of the pitch, every blade of grass better than anywhere else. Yeah, I think to be fair, I think the pitch is a, was a problem for it because I think <laughs> we probably had one of the worst pitches in the league until they got a, um, they ripped it all up and put a um, new one down. But in in the first season when we struggled with the pitch, we didn't pick up many points at home because we were just looking forward to going to play at another ground where it was actually a flat pitch. Do you know what I mean? We And and because we trained on a flat pitch and we trained on a good pitch and then we'd go to there, in the first year we had that bit of naivety really where we still felt we could play that way. And then the second year when we was there and Ollie Harder was there, we actually got excited playing at home because we knew teams were going to come and try and play football, but there was no way you could play football on it. So we knew that our game had to change and we had to be a high-pressing team and play on their mistakes. And you still got Chelsea, for example, went to play out from the back and the ball's bobbling around in their neck and they're still trying to do it. Whereas we're like, play it, play it, because we know we're going to beat you at it. Um, so, yeah, I think the pitch is, is huge. But, yeah, I think everyone wants their home home ground to be a fortress. And fans are a huge part of that. Being able to not potentially just fill in one section, but fill around the stadium is huge. Um and I think it's just about picking points up there. Picking points up will make you feel more confident. Um, and, yeah, it was just you just got building it, really. But, yeah, I do say the pitch was a little bit of the issue at West Ham. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely... Not, not taking it. excuses, by the way. It's just that was the case. <laughs> Everyone who's listening to the podcast now has to go straight away and find some old footage of those <laughs> till I decide whether Jilly is lying to you or not. <laughs> Um, well, that is all our fixtures for this weekend. Jilly, thank you so much for joining us once again. Pleasure to talk to you as always. And hope you're able to chill a little bit this week. Now it's an international break. You're not off to Marbella or anything following the England team. No, I wish, I wish, but no, it's a weekend with the feet up. Well, that's not too bad. We, we will also take that one. Uh, Alana, thank you so much for joining us as well. Undoubtedly, we'll see you in Tala very very soon for more Ireland chats and stuff thank you everyone for listening in as well if you have anything you want to say to us about today's podcast whether that's the team of the week or talk about Ireland earlier on in the show or about the WSL over the week and uh, you can get on to us at the Koi Gig Pod on Twitter we are always checking in there for little bits of updates there's also going to be lots of video from the Ireland camp across the podcast Twitter over the next couple of days Eileen Gleeson Went live on Monday, Mifahi Tuesday. There's also Erin McLaughlin, Aoife Mannion, 
So there's loads of stuff in there. Definitely worth a check. Diane Caldwell as well. Better not forget the final one. I knew there was one more. Um, so yeah, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. And if you're happening to go to Florence as well, let us know. I'm very jealous because I'm not going sadly. Uh, the Koi Gig Pod on Off the Ball is sponsored by Cabri, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We shall have a new podcast at the end of the international window to chat to all the happenings against Italy and Wales. But for now, good day and thank you for listening. The Koi Gig Pod on Off the Ball in association with Cadbury, official snack partner of the Republic of Ireland women's national team.